So before uh, I discuss the topic for today, uh, let me give uh, you a brief account of what we discussed with regard to Henry uh, Favor yesterday. So I record that Henry Favor uh, is one of the other prominent members of uh, the initial era theories the study of administration. He is considered to be the father of modern management. He acquired a reputation which was equivalent to what Taylor had in terms of fame, in terms of disability. It is being referred or often it is referred that what Taylor is to America, Taylor is to Europe. But Henry Fayol gained the reputation somewhat later, though he was very much contemporary to that of Taylor. Uh, but again, uh, he again uh, prominence or acquired uh, the prominence somewhat later because uh, his writings were not available in English. He basically, uh, as in French theories. So only when his ideas or his publications were translated, it was made available to the rest of the world, and then only it was realized, in fact, the extent of uh, the significance of his uh, theory, the very amount of significance, the extent of significance of his theory, was realized somewhat later very much in tune with other theorists of the era, uh, he also believed that in order for organization to be successful, it is required that uh, the, as far as the management of the organization is concerned, uh, the rule of thumb, that means the commonsensual approach to the management of the organizations should be replaced with a scientific approach or science of management. So basically, here we can say, that if you take into account theories from that period, uh, all the theories in fact believe that today a more scientific approach is required than a scientific manageable approach is required. And in this particular context, Fayol also agreed with other theories of the period. And at the same time, uh, Fayol did not discriminate between the management and the administration. He believed, though there are two different names, in fact, usually they are used in two different contexts. One is used in the context of private sector, the other is used in the context of public sector, the government. So even though the usage has been in different contexts, the nomenclature has been different, but Essentially, in terms of the management or administration, as far as the content uh, is concerned, the nature is concerned, there is no difference. In fact, we referred or we, we used a statement, in fact, with the help of a statement in order to clarify what exactly Henry uh, uh, was uh, hinting towards. I referred that. Uh, the very statement, we try to understand his views to this statement, and this statement is not exactly stated by the Fayol, 
though this statement explains Pavilion viewpoint, that is, the administration, the administration, nothing public about it. That means anywhere, any, in any context that is actually administration, anywhere there is an organization and is engaged in administration, the nature of that particular activity remains the same, whether it is a religious organization, cultural organization, private or government organization. That means the, 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 very, the essential character of this activity doesn't change. What Henry Fair was trying to say that all that actually is useful in the context of private sector, the same is also useful in the context of private uh, government. So that means in the government, nothing special or unique or different is required. Whatever works in the private sector, that also will work in government. Whatever works in the government also will work in the private sector. At the same time, I will refer that the in a field, has been essentially a managerial theorist, you know, primarily focusing on understanding the manager, the, the higher aspect of the organization, his focus, his explanation, and the more who focused on the higher aspects of the organization, higher levels of the organization, or the managerial levels of the organization. In this particular context, we have made a very subtle difference, a distinction between Galerian idea and the Fiorian idea, as I referred. That Fair, in his theory, has focused on the bottom of the organization, the software level of the organization, while Henry Fair has focused on the the managerial, higher level of the organization. Uh, one other very important aspect that I referred yesterday, in fact, that very view, that very aspect, in fact, has governed. These theorists, in fact, not only the Henry Fields idea, but also the theorists of this initial period in general. Fields belonged to a school of thought who believed in objective and universal principles of administration. I did explain yesterday what is objectivity, objective and uh, or objectivity uh, and universality means. So Fields is of the view. That there are certain ways in which organization can be managed well. That means, if the organizations are managed in that particular way, the organization will become efficient. So, in that particular context, Fair, belonging to this particular class of theorists, in fact, believed that it is important to discover or find out those keys or those hidden secrets or otherwise we can say those hidden principles of managing the organization towards success. That means these theories, including that of the general believed in certain objective principles of administration. That means moment you say objective principles as they referred, certain cause and effect relationship, those are already existing and those are constant. Whether a human being knows that or not, whether a manager knows that or not, does not matter. Organizations are having their own dynamism. That means the way the organization will function. So organization might function badly, the organization might, might function rightly. So organization might be functional, the organization might be dysfunctional. The functionality of the organization and dysfunctionality of the organization 
are based on certain relationships. That means there are certain things that causes dysfunctionality, and there are certain things that causes functionality. Uh, functionality here, functionality here, we are referring to as what? Good. Productivity, efficiency. You know the, what is an appreciable function? That is what is desired. Dysfunctionality here, we are referring to something that is not desired. Inefficiency, bad functioning, malfunctioning. That is what we are referring to as dysfunctionality. So, these theories, including that of the Henry Fayol, believe that there are certain ways that define the functionality of the organization and there are certain ways that define the dysfunctionality of the organization. Like very much a simplified, a very simplistic example, maybe I refer, is like let's say you are preparing for the civil service. So, whether you know how to prepare or not, that doesn't matter. There are certain ways in which if prepared, the productivity will be good, the result will be good, and there are certain ways, if you prepare in that way, the result will be bad. So there are a number of different ways through which you can actually attain to attain your goal, and all these ways are not equally good. There are certain good ways, and there are certain bad ways. So that means already existing, these are already existing, whether you know it, you like it, you do not like it, you prefer it, do not prefer it, doesn't matter. There are already ways existing which can drive you towards success, which can actually prevent you from getting success. So the, the benefit lies in, or possibly we can say, the advantage lies in knowing what is a good way of preparation and what are the bad ways of preparation. And say, if you believe in this philosophy, that there are certain good ways, there are certain bad ways, and these good ways are irrespective, the good ways are there, they are existing, irrespective of whether I recognize it or not, whether I prefer it or not, whether I desire it or not. This type of philosophy is referred to as which type of, or this type of approach is referred to as which type of approach? Objective approach. Objective approach. Because this is not dependent on me, it's independent of human being. That's what's objective. And second, not only this, you might believe in this, that there are certain good ways of preparation. But at the same time, you do also believe that these good ways of preparing for the civil service not only are good for one, that is good for all. So something which is good is not actually related to one, rather universal to all. So the moment you have this type of belief, that's what refers to universal. So coming back, as we referred, that Henry Fiol was of the, the opinion that there are objective and universal principles of administration that can explain the efficiency of administration. So as a theorist, he believed that it is the responsibility of those who want to explain efficiency of the administration to discover these principles. And these principles can be discovered through close observation scientific orientation and with this I referred yesterday that as for Henry Fiore there are how many essential functions of the organization? Six. You believe that every organization in order to be successful is required to carry out 
six functions and those six functions be production or technical, financial, commercial, accounting, security and management or administration. These are the six essential functions. Now, out of these six essential functions, Henry Fair has referred to certain functions as segmental and certain other functions as integral. Which functions he has referred to as segmental functions? First five minus administration and the administrative function is referred to as integral functions. Take this, we have discussed yesterday. So let's discuss the rest of the Fair's theory. And before I take up this Henry uh, Fair's theory for discussion, uh, one, uh, uh, in fact, analytical aspect that I referred yesterday. So if you, if you ask me after the class, so let me actually repeat that. I mean, I don't know. I thought that I was able to clarify that somehow by listening to the questions outside the class. So I felt possibly you to may not have got it properly. So let me in brief explain that, and uh, then you and paper rest of the portion of the paper. And again, one thing let me also say. You are free to ask questions after the class, outside the class. Uh, but I would suggest that exhaust your questions inside the class so that others also benefit. Because when you are asking, you know, others, it is easy for me to explain uh, just after the class and it could be beneficial for all. See, yesterday, while referring to Taylor, a very simple aspect I referred that Taylor has been considered as a radical reformer as well as a conservative. So the, these two terms are mutually opposing terms. Radical conservative reformist and conservatist. So moment it's a radical reformist, which character of the Taylorian theory explains about Taylor being a radical reformist? Yes. Because it, he rejected that commonsensual approach to manage the organization. In fact, emphasized on scientism. And in that particular context, we have discussed a number of things that we already discussed in our lecture yesterday. And which part is referred to as conservatist? Each emphasis on authority. His emphasis on centralization. That is something conservatist because traditionally the organizations has been centralized. So Taylor, while taking up this his idea of scientific management, did also emphasize on the authority of the superior. So that authority of the superior, authority of the superior position is somewhat a status quo approach, a traditional approach because of which has also been referred to as conservatist. Apart from this, one more aspect I also referred to Taylorian theory. I referred that Taylor's theory was not merely a theory on management, a theory that deals, dealt with financial and commercial aspect. Moreover, his theory has also having the political and social overtone question that I gave yesterday. What is the political overtone in the Taylorian theory? Please say it because few of you have tried the question. What is the political overtone? Because he rejected the idea of collective bargaining in the form of trade union. 
So this is actually a power context. It's a power perspective. So he rejected this. He told the workers, neither the worker nor the organization nor the society benefit through this trade unionism. He rejected trade unionism. And what is the social aspect? He referred that equality, social equality in the society or the inequality in the society can be reduced through increase in wages, increase in wealth income. So that means there are various disabilities are there, the rich, poor, poverty, illiteracy, number of these disabilities are there and these disabilities, inequity, all this can be addressed through monetary gain. People earn more only when more wealth is created. Wealth is created through harmony, not through discord, through cooperation, not through individualism, <coughs> through maximum productivity, not through restriction of productivity. So what he has discussed through his idea, mental revolution. So he believed that only through scientific management, productivity will increase. And when productivity increases, individual workers will get more wages. So more wealth, more wages, better productivity, the people also benefit. In this way, people earn more, when they earn more, inequality reduces. Various disabilities in the societies are addressed. So his theory not only had that managerial, engineering, technical, commercial aspect, his theory also carried political and significant social context. Okay? So this uh, social overtone that you are discussing, was it uh, mentioned by Taylor before? No, actually, Taylor mentioned only one aspect. In this, he mentioned that only when we cooperate, then only people's income will grow. This cooperation can ultimately result into more wealth creation. And at the same time, this will also result into more and more satisfaction of the people in general who will purchase, let's say, those products or the get those services as the customer or clients. This is what they are still. Beyond this, as I told, is an analytical aspect. Sure, I think these two things clear absolutely. Because you can miss out with the facts, don't miss out with these analytical aspects. This is very important. Uh, okay, the rest of the theories on Henry Fiorot, please discuss. See, uh, as we referred yesterday, as well as Henry Fiorot, the functions like technical, Commercial, financial, accounting, and security have been referred to as segmental functions, and administration has been referred to as integral functions. The reason being, Henry Fiore believed that within the organization, all these functions, barring administration, can be carried out with relative isolation from each other. So, if you take it account, let's say production. Production can be carried out that when people engaged in production, they need not be bothered about accounting. They need not be bothered about security. So they do not they do not require the skills of accounting, they do not require the skills of the 
Next is security, or they do not require the skills of the trainer to sell or purchase, marketing or something like that. He is referring that if you take into account all these functions, all these functions barring administration or management can be carried out with relative isolation from others. Not absolute, relative. Relative isolation from others. That is why only one segment, each of these activities are only one segment. That is why he refers them as segmented. But he says simultaneously at this in this context, he thinks that administration as an activity pervades all of the activities. Now administration as an activity pervades all other activities. That means commercial activities cannot be carried out without administration. Financial activities cannot be carried out without administration or production cannot be carried out without administration. That means in the administrative, sorry, the, that, that particular part of the organization that is dealing with, let's say, production, they have to deal with administration. That part of the organization that is dealing with accounting has to deal with administration. That part of the organization that is dealing with security has to deal with administration. That means administration as an activity pervades. It's something like present everywhere. Is present in accounting, is present in production, is present in commercial activities, is present in every other activity. That is why the administration or managerial activities has been referred to as individual activities. Not only he says administration pervades all other activities, Fair is of the opinion that administration is the most Important activity. Now, of all the activities, administration is the most important activity. So, according to Fair, which is the most important activity within the organization? Administration. He says, administration is the most significant activity. You see, administration being good, administration being efficient, each and every other activity becomes good, each and every other activity becomes efficient. That means production is efficient because of administration. When administration goes wrong, production goes wrong. Administration goes wrong, security goes wrong. Administration goes wrong, commercial activities goes wrong. So that is why not only is it present, it pervades every other activity, every other activity is dependent on administration and the nature of the administration defines the nature of other activities and that is why he thinks that administration is the most important of all the activities. <coughs> Having said so, he concentrates next on explaining administration. Now, having said so, that within the organization, now he is explaining what organization. And one of the activity of the organization is administration. 
and he says this activity of the organization is the most important activity. The success of the organization or the failure of the organization is critically dependent on one of its activity, that's the integral activity that is administration. Now, by referring to administration, he maintains that administration, in order to be successful, should carry out five important functions. So here, uh, Feol is uh, descriptive or prescriptive? Descriptive. Descriptive means any theory that is actually dealing with is. It says administration is carrying out five functions. That statement is what? Merely describing. It says the administration should carry out five functions, that is prescriptive. And before I proceed, let me clarify one more term. See, there are certain, you know, there is a term or moreover a concept called Normative. 
So any theory that is prescriptive will be normative. And another aspect. Let's say in any theory there is emphasis on value. No few terms initially, few terms let's get very very much clarified by studying this theory so that subsequent these are building blocks. Subsequently, should not be troubled. Value. I refer to this term again. Value means anything that is preferred, anything on which an individual places importance or significance. That is what is referred to as value. So, moving we say value. Value means we put importance. That means we put significance on that. That means that is what we prefer. So anything we prefer, we are making a prescription or not? We are making a prescription? Maybe in our case, I am making a prescription for myself. I am making a prescription for myself. Okay, let's say I believe in gender equality. By making a prescription for myself, that's a female or male, they need to be treated equally. And by making a prescription for myself, I'm also making a prescription for others that I believe that you as an individual should also believe that the male or female both are equal. So movement actually, any theory that is actually value dominated, in the due course of time we will be able to understand those things. Any theory that is value dominated, can it also be referred to as normative? Can it also be referred to as normative? Yes. Why? Because value means anything that is preferred, anything that is actually, you know, you are putting significant, the moment you put significant means you are preferring, the moment you are preferring means you are prescribing. So anything prescriptive is normative. So any theory that will be value dominated, that will also be normative. Okay, coming back. So, as far as the general theory is concerned, we were saying that fear, according to fear, as per fear, that administration should, any administration, administration in order to be successful is required to carry out five functions. And these five functions he had presented through his acronym, that is OAK. Abbreviation O Planning, Organizing, Controlling, Coordinating, Command, or Commanding, Coordinating, and Controlling. Planning, Organizing, Commanding, Coordinating. So we do not uh, in detail uh, define what these individual uh, functions mean, but for a brief understanding, let me refer to this. So don't go for a detailed understanding of what is planning, what is organizing, because previously now see it. Uh, syllabus that is the principles of administration, then you used to study 
in detail because the moment you refer to the previous question, there will be a few questions which will be specifically on, let's say, what few of these principles. So by that you don't actually develop that understanding. We need to actually in detail study this. Well, previously that used to be a chapter principles of administration, but no more that that chapter is there. So that is why the detailed understanding of each of these you know, principles are not required. That is simply when we refer to planning. Planning means what? That means you, you go for some planning or not? You plan? Do you plan? What is that? Outline. Outline? Okay. Maybe it's an outline with regard to the desired goals. And also the manner in which these goals are to be attained. Plan. So basically, Henry Fayol would emphasize that administration is responsible for planning. That means envisioning the goal. Clearly outlining the goal and also defining the manner in which the goal is to be attained. Organizing. Now see, organizing basically, don't write in detail. This is not required. Organizing basically means systematizing the main and material resources within the organization. Like I said, 500 people are there and you are managing an organization, let's say, uh, you have human resources at your disposal and the material, that money is there, buildings are there, you know, a lot of other material resources are there. So in this particular context, one important function that you have as being a manager is that you have to systematize. Why systematize? You cannot ask all 500 people, we have to do this, go and start doing You have to systematize. Who is actually the boss? What are the different departments? Who is the departmental boss? Who is actually superior? Who is subordinate? So a proper systematization of manpower would be required. Otherwise, there will be chaos. Proper systematization of material resources are also required. So this systematization of main and material is what is being referred here as organizing. Commanding, coordinating, controlling. Commanding basically means that means the managers should issue commands or instructions defining the duties and responsibilities. Coordination, that means establishing harmony in operation. So multiple positions are there, multiple uh, let's say individuals are there. So they carry out their respective activities, functions. It is important that their uh, respective functions needs to be harmonized. So establishing this harmonization is what is being referred to as coordination. And controlling means ensuring or enforcing the responsibility that is something that is assigned that should be complied. So enforcing responsibility is what is being referred to as control or controlling. So Henry Fiol believed that administration in order to be successful is required to carry out these five functions. That means successful administrations plan, organize, command, coordinate and control. But see, 
as earlier I have referred that Henry Fayol believed in principles of administration. That means he believed in certain objective and universal laws of administration. In line with this thought, Henry Fayol has contributed 14 principles of administration. So in line of this very thought, that there are objective ways of managing the organization, there are universal ways of managing the organization towards efficiency or success. Henry Fayol has contributed 14 principles of administration and these 14 principles of administration Fayol refers as 14 flexible principles of administration. In line of his thought, Henry Fayol has contributed 14 principles. And these 14 principles he refers as flexible, 14 flexible principles of administration. So before we understand, before we refer to these 14 principles, what are these 14 principles? Let us try first of all understand the Henry Fayol's idea of these principles being flexible principles. Now why he refers these principles as flexible principles? What do you mean by flexible? Flexible involves something static or something changeable. Generally that's what is our understanding. Something that is changeable, that is something that is not static. That's what we refer to as flexible. And anything that is static, we generally refer it as digit. That is called the commercial view. But very interesting. Same referred by referring to this principle that he produced and that he contributed, he believed that these principles are objective principles, these principles are universal principles. But why do you believe that if these principles are objective and universal principles? He tagged, he referred, he mentioned these 14 principles as 14 flexible principles. Doesn't it appear to be somewhat oxymoronic? Oxymoronic means mutually contradicted. There are one side universal. Whoever you are, you are having a pharmaceutical industries, only please. Let's say 10 people went to Henry Fiore. He said, We have an organization, we are having a problem of managing the organization. You being an organizational doctor, solve our disease of inefficiency. So, what Henry Fiore is going to give? The same medicine to all who be. You will say, Don't worry. You being human being, having any ailment is the same. So here you have not any element, having the same element is the same, element is the problem of managing yourself. You might be actually a small child, you might be a young, a young adult, you might be an old fellow, you might be male, you might be female, you might be a tribal, you might be uh, let's say an individual in the urban area, you might be an individual in rural area, you might be an individual residing in hilly areas. Or you might be an individual residing in the coastal or let's say desert area, doesn't matter. You will all of you have the problem of let's say managing yourself. So this is the offense of the wife, something. So something like 
the you know the handy fellow is going to say whether it's a pharmaceutical organization is a textile organization whether it is actually a defense organization doesn't matter it's a small medium or big organization whether it's a government organization is a private organization doesn't matter these 14 principles are the 14 solutions to the problem of inefficiency so that means he say these are universal principles but interestingly this 14 universal principles is tagging us for being flexible principles of administration but he has a logic he has a very sound logic of referring it as 14 flexible principles of administration now let me try to explain that in a layman's format all of you are different or not अपने आप में अलग हो कि नया जंतु हो कि नहीं एक तो लोग सब यूनिक फीचर्स इवनी फ्लेक्स है ऑल ऑफ़ सर यू नो ईच वन ऑफ़ अस आर यूनिक बट लेट्स से दैट नो योर सेम सॉल्यूशन इज़ गिवन फॉर यू फॉर अदर सेम सॉल्यूशन वी हैव दिस प्रॉब्लम फॉर दिस प्रॉब्लम दिस इज़ द सॉल्यूशन एंड विथ कॉन्फिडेंस now this very belief that the solution A, the solution A is addressing the problem of 1, the problem of 2, the problem of 3, the problem of 4. That means the solution A has the capacity to adapt significantly to 1, 2, 3, 4 irrespective of their differences. So 1 is different from 2, 2 is different from 3, 3 is different from 4. Irrespective of the differences, A is able to address. Like let's say there are 4 different cities. And they are, one might be having chilly cold, another might be very, very hot, other might be moderate, another might be polluted, another might be very clean, all the different cities. And you in fact go and all the 5 different cities, you live nicely. You're able to not to uh, handle things nicely. You're handling a particular thing. That thing in each one of the city, you're able to handle very nicely. So what does that speak of? Your ability to adapt. Your ability to adapt to each, each one of the city irrespective of the difference in the cities. From that perspective, we simply say that whatever the nature of organization it might be, the same principles are applicable. That itself speaks volume about what? These principles, the adaptive capacity to deal with these different organizations. That is the reason he refers these principles as flexible principles of administration. Are you able to understand why he is referring these principles as flexible? So, uh, here, uh, see, if you take into account, and if you are maintaining, that the principles of administration are the key to the success of the organization, key to the efficiency of the administration, and he has contributed 14 principles which he had does, 14 flexible principles of administration. He maintained that these 14 principles are flexible principles because, irrespective of the nature of the organization, the same principles are applicable. So, thereby, these principles have sufficient adaptive capacity to address the problems of the organization irrespective of their differences. Now these two principles are division of work, 
Subordination of individual interest to general interest. Subordination of individual interest to general interest. Remuneration. Centralization. Scalar chain. Scale. Scalar chain. Stability of tenure, P-E-N-U-R-E, tenure. Next is initiative, initiative, then SPT cops. Uh, 
with more observation, more experience, there might be a 15th principle, there might be a 16th principle, there might be a 17th principle. So 14th principle doesn't mean this is where the principles end. So these principles are not, this set of principles are not exhaustive set of principles. Exhaustive means what? After this, principles are exhausted, no more. So these are not exhaustive set of principles. So with the newer situation, with more observation, new principles might emerge. Now for all this principle, pure belief, division of work is the most important principle. Now for all these principles, if we, the division of work is the most important principle. Now let us try to understand the Henry Fiore's view on division of work. See, Fiore says division of work brings about specialization. Now, division of work brings in specialization. It produces specialization. And specialization increases productivity. Division of work means what? Dividing the work. That is, same individuals not doing multiple activities. Or all are not doing all the activities. Rather, different people are doing different activities. So, activities are divided. The work is divided among individuals. So, the division of work is very much related to division of labor. What you will do, what I will do. So, this division of work automatically will lead towards Specialization, acquiring more and more skill, acquiring more and more capacity, acquiring more and more ability in performing a particular type of activity. So the division of work will result into specialization and as Fayol says, the specialization increases productivity. But he maintains that the division of work belongs to the natural order. The division of work belongs to the natural order. Now let me try to elaborate what does this exactly mean that division of work belongs to the natural order. <coughs> See, Fiorot uh, says that when an organization is small, it can very well carry out its activities without division of work. That is, for example, let's say tomorrow you are setting up an organization, any organization. It might be you might start that organization at a very small scale. So it might be maybe you are the only employee. But there might be two or three or four. Now in that particular context, see in, in, in this organization, in this small organization, not necessarily you are going to divide the job. You, you might be playing multiple uh, uh, role. You might be the owner, you might be the cashier, you might be the accountant, you might be the sweeper, everything. So when the organization is small, not necessarily this division work would be there. But see, as because every organization has a natural tendency towards growth. If things go well, it 
starts growing. And the moment there is growth, there will be a lot of people, more employees. And the moment there are more employees, the face-to-face -face interaction stops. So you being the owner, you are not going to have face-to-face -face interaction with each one of your employees. Your managers are not going to have face-to-face -face interaction with all the employees that you have. So in that particular context, not only it will go grow big and uh, there will be lot many number of people, the job will be also you know, large, face-to-face -face interaction is going to stop. See, in this particular context, automatically, automatically with the increase in the size, the volume, the number of the uh, organizational members, automatically the dividing of work will take place. So what will start automatically? Things start with, I will do this, you do that. Or these people will do this, these people will do that. So automatically, this is an automatic process. Naturally, dividing of responsibility will take place, dividing of work will take place. But for this, organization is going to be seriously troubled. That means if you are not actually going for dividing of work, what will happen? Symptoms of malfunctioning will be there, difficulties will be there. So automatically, this is going to actually take place. So that is what Taylor is trying to say. Sorry, Henry Fair is going to say, okay, Henry Fair says that if division of work it is very important because that brings about specialization. Specialization increases productivity and division of work belongs to the natural order because while the organization is small, the organization still can function without division of work. But as the organization becomes bigger in size, <coughs> the division of work becomes a natural act. It becomes a reality naturally. But having said so, Henry Fair says division of work should be maintained at the right proportion. Division of work should be maintained at the right proportion. this, let me refer to certain things. See, Government of India, on one account, see, Government of India is a big organization or not? Huge organization. Can it operate without having ministries? Let's say, Modi told, I am very capable, I am very powerful, I am very capable, there will be no ministries, all ministries I am going to do. Each and every ministry I'm going to handle. Uh, things will malfunction or it will be functional? It will start malfunction. So there has to be ministries. Ministries are signifying what? Specialization. Dividing of the work. Then internal security, this defense, this education, health, etc. This is all divided. But let's say we have how many ministries? Fifty-five. Fifty-five. Okay. I don't know. 
exactly how many are there. But let's say instead of 55, we have 100 ministries, 150 ministries. That will be more specialization or not? More minute specialization or not? Previously, there have been cases. The ministries went up to 70, 73, the previous number, and every time the pay commission recommends to reduce the number of ministries. Now, what is the reason? Why? Let's say if there is no ministries, things are going to malfunction. But at the same time, if you go for 100 ministries, 150 ministries, 200 ministries, every every MP will be satisfied. Don't worry. Come over one ministry. No. There's so many certificate put on. But would that be a good idea? Why would not be a good idea? Apart from it is going to be too costly. Why lack of coordination? What would be the reason? There will be no unity of command. Uh, no, unity of command is different. Unity of command is you will be guided by only one. So that can be arranged. But the problem is if you go for more and more subdivision, more and more specialization beyond a point, that will be overlapping. And this overlapping will result into conflict and as it refers to lack of coordination, there will be wastage of resources. Like let's say, if you take into account energy, you can have uh, maybe 15 ministries related to energy, conventional, non-conventional, major, minor, or within that hydropower, solar, you know, let's say, uh, wind, you know, so the fossil, etc, etc, a number of different categories and one ministry each. So this will result in what? Huge overlapping of responsibility, problem of coordination, conflict, wasted of resources, number of these things. So what does this mean? This means you need to go for specialization, but the specialization should be maintained only at the right proportion. It should not be overdone. That is what Henry Payol says. The administration, if wants to manage well, should go for specialization because specialization increases productivity. But the management should be very much careful not to overdo it. It should be maintained at the right proportion. Okay? Understood this aspect? The second is authority and responsibility. All these have a relevance or not? Have even contemporary relevance or not? As I referred, our fifth pay commission, sixth pay commission, prior to that fourth pay commission, third pay commission, repeatedly has referred that number of ministries needs to be reduced. All these are having a Fiorian reference or not? Fiorian reference in terms of which principle? This principle of division of work in which he maintains that division of work should be maintained at the right proportion. The next authority and responsibility. Whatever example of the cases I would refer, if maintaining those, the platform it would be helpful at least to understand and to also set up your own examples. Sipir believed. That managers should clearly define the responsibility of uh, each position. So that should be a clear definition of responsibility of various units and also each 
position. That means which unit is expected to do what and which position is expected to do what. What are the areas of duties or expectation for each unit or each individual position that should be clearly defined. Because if it is not clearly defined, again there will be problem of coordination, overlapping, chaos, lack of responsibility, selling of responsibility. So it is required that that should be a clear definition, clear outline of duties and responsibilities. But at the same time, we all say responsibilities in order to be carried out requires authority. So responsibility in order to be carried out requires authority and authority should be co-equal to the responsibility but should correspond to the responsibility, it should be co-equal to responsibility. Now, see, when we say co-equal to the responsibility, that means it, is, it, 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 it should be same, it should not be more, it should not be less. Because let's say, if authority is more than responsibility, it might lead to authoritarianism, arbitrariness. You have more power, more responsibility, or less responsibility, so it will be more arbitrary. On the other hand, if authority is less than that of the responsibility, it might lead towards helplessness, anarchy. That means you don't mean you have all the responsibility, you have huge responsibility but you don't have power. So when you have huge responsibility, you do not have power, you will be helpless. Or there will be more anarchy in the chaos situation. So that is what everybody is saying. That within the organization, manager, in order to be successful, it is required. But these principles are what? Prescriptions. What the managers are expected to do in order to be successful, in order to manage the organization towards the success. So it is being referred that they should clearly define the responsibility. And while clearly defining the responsibility, they should also assign authority to what for the authority responsibility is being less. And what amount of authority? Co-equal. authority. The next is, what is the next principle? Discipline. 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 Compliance with the norms. Okay. See, Fjord says the managers are responsible for Defining the norms of the conduct, or otherwise, what we can refer to as course of conduct. And also ensuring the compliance towards these goals or norms. So, I've been a manager, and the important responsibilities not only face the responsibility, give the authority, but also in terms of the organizational conduct which conduct is approved and which conduct is not approved which conduct is desirable and which conduct is undesirable this needs to be clearly outlined 
and body outline is needs to be enforced. So the manager should clearly define the norms of conduct and also carry out those activities to enforce those conduct or to ensure the compliance towards those conduct. This is what he refers to by the principle of discipline. The next is unity of command. Did I explain this? This is already Discipline means, can you tell us the manager's responsibility is to develop and clearly put in place the norms of conduct or what otherwise may be popularly be referred to as course of conduct. What is this norms of conduct or course of conduct? Defining which behavior within the organization or as per the organizational responsibilities are desirable and which behavior or action is undesirable. So not only managers should develop this, but also ensure the compliance towards this. So let's say you are the employees of an organization in which I am the manager. Then if you would say, I should actually make it very clear to you what is accepted and what is not accepted and how should I do that? By developing by creating a law, a rules and regulation, or a law that actually says, like let's say we, you must be hearing what this term, course of conduct. So that actually clearly says what is accepted, what is not accepted, what is actually preferred and what is not preferred. So I will clearly establish that and I will make it clear that this is what is desired of you. And not only I should only be establishing these norms, I should also do the needed activities, I should carry out the needed activities for us to enforce or ensure that you act or you do things as per these norms. That is what is referred to as discipline. The, the next one is unity of command. See, unity of command as a principle is a principle of supervision. So as far as the supervision is concerned, we all believe that within an organization, the lines of command should be clear, that means each one should know who to obey, that's what lines of command should be clear. So that means if they, if throughout the organization, the entirety of the organization, there should be no confusion as to who to who be. So lines of command should be very clear. So I should not be actually wondering whom to obey, whom to report. So lines of command should be clear and at the same time we maintains that each individual should be guided by only one boss or one superior. I should be very clear where lies my obedience. <clears throat> but as far as my obedience is concerned, it should not lie with the plurality of individual, rather, it should lie with a singularity, a single individual. So my boss should be only one. I should not have multiple bosses. Why? Because Henry Tao says, in case of multiple bosses, 
the possibility of conflicting commands. So one might say do this, another might say don't do this. So that the possibility of conflicting command, overlapping of command, and there is also a possibility of the subordinate playing one boss against the other. The possibility of the other is that I am not be ready to do some work. I might simply, let's say one of my boss said, I told you to do this. What is the case? I can take the recourse to, sir, dusre sir, do ye bole de karne ke liye. So that's what Henry Fayol says, that in case of multiple supervision, there's a possibility that the subordinate might play one verse against the other. That is why Henry Fayol was against the idea of multiple supervision before he is in favor of the unity of command that means that we do only one boss. But he is contradicting the favor. Yes, that already we have referred. Among these initial era theorists, all these initial era theorists, what we have been referring to as classical, all of them believed in which principle of uh, supervision? Unity of command. There is one exception. Who is the fellow? Taylor. Taylor believed in multiple supervision through his concept of functional coherence. So that means he is in not, not in agreement with Taylor's idea, multiple supervision of functional code and setup. He believed in one supervisor, that means a individual should be guided by only one boss. So this is his principle. Next is unity of sorry. Unity of direction. Unity of direction. Unity of direction. See this, so by this principle, he meant one head, one goal. No, one head, one goal. Let me try to explain what does this mean. One head, one goal. Henry Fair believed that a single organized unit should have one defined goal. So any, let's say, unit, any organized unit should have only one goal. Because in case there is a more than one goal, The organization will become inoperational. There will be difficulty in operation, there will be difficulty in say, activities. You see, command will fail, control will fail, coordination will fail. So there will be multiple problems arising out, out of the absence of unity of direction. Unity of direction means 
one goal, one head, one goal. Like let's say, for example, before it proceeds, let me can refer to you know, the sentence to some examples. If you take it up from Government of India, Government of India is an organized unit or not? Is an organized unit. Is headed by administrative unit, the Prime Minister, nominated president. Now the entire government of India, as many of you will say, should have one goal. Not two, three, four, five goals, one goal. There should be one defined goal for government of India. Unless this one goal is there, what will happen? The command, coordination, all these things will suffer, all these things will fail. Like let's say the government of India has only one goal, well-being or the welfare of the people of India. And within this, within the government of India, there might be other organized units, like the Ministry of Defense, or Ministry of Coal, or Ministry of Finance. So these are all within this larger organized unit that also these organized units. So if you take it account, Ministry of Defense, you should have one goal. One head, one goal. Because so if you one goal of the second day, the territorial integrity of the country. Because if, if it doesn't have a single goal, what will happen? It can be inoperational. Everything will suffer. So if you consider, let's say, Ministry of Defense from the Government of India point of view. So Government of India do not have two different goals. Okay, war or defense or let's say well-being of the people. No. Only one goal, well-being of the people. For well-being of the people, you need defense. So that is handled by a separate unified unit. Now within the, let's say, Ministry of Defense, there are a number of departments. So each department, being an organized unit, will have one defined goal. So that is what Henry Fiore is trying to say. Henry Fiore is saying that within the organization, it is expected that every organized unit should have only one goal. That is what he refers to as one head, one goal. Because he believes if this is not there, then other managerial malfunction will be there. And in this particular context, in case, in order the unity of command to be there, there has to be unity of direction. But it does not follows from it, but it doesn't flow from it. It, 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 it doesn't flow, flow from it. So in order to you know, the unity of command be there, in order the unity of command be there, what is required? Unity of direction is required. But it does not flow from it. Let me elaborate this aspect. He said unity of command to be there. Within the organization, it, unity of command has to be there. Unity of command means only one voice. This is based on what? Unity of command? Because uh, uh, this fellow must be guided by only one. This is unity of command. So in order this to be there within the organization, what is required? Unity of direction. 
That is one goal. Otherwise, if there is no one goal, see, there will be confusion. Proper guidance will not be there, conflicting ideas will be there. So, unity of command will not be possible if unity of direction is not there. So, unity of command to be there, unity of direction is required. But at the same time, if unity of direction is there, that does not mean automatically unity of command will be there. So, he is simply trying to say that these principles are principles to the managers. He is simply saying you have to ensure unity of command. Within the organization, you have to go for You have to also ensure unity of direction. But you need to understand if you want to have unity of command, that has to be unity of direction. But by ensuring unity of direction, you should not feel that automatically within the organization there will be unity of command. So, the moment there is only one goal, let's say, there, there is only one goal welfare. So that means unity of direction is there. But within the organization, instead of one boss, there will be multiple boss. Arrangement could be in a different way. So moment like this appear to be saying if you are a manager and you are trying to find out how to manage your organization to our success. So you found okay, unity of direction is there, clearly defined goal for, for the organization is there. Only one, you know, your principal goal has been identified. By that, Fair would say, don't be so complacent. Don't think that automatically within that organization unity of command will be there. Are you able to get this point? So that is what he says. That is what Fair is saying, that unity of command to be there, there has to be unity of direction, but it doesn't force from. It. So this is what is unity of direction. The next principle, subordination of the individual interest to the general interest. Like let's say, see within the organization, the bigger goals are there and also sub-goals are there. Government of India goal is welfare and we refer to Ministry of Defense goal is Maintaining the territorial integrity. Or let's say a particular government of India's goal is welfare, Ministry of Finance goal is to actually manage expenditure and all these things, revenue in a sound way, maintain the financial stability of the country. And within the Ministry of Finance, let's say if you take it account, Department of Revenue, its goal is to earn more and more revenue. So there are goals within the organization. There are sub goals, there are sub sub goals, there are sub 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 goals. Now, do you think every time all these goals will be in complementation to each other? At times they might be contradictory or not? Because Department of Revenue, Department of Revenue will be focusing on earning more and more revenue for raising more and more revenue. But see, at times raising more and more revenue is not the aim of the government. Government is not an earning organization. That it has to create more revenue, earn more revenue. The revenue is earned so as to actually care for people more. So to the extent this earning of revenue is not related to the caring for the people, that earning of revenue is actually not in the interest of the country. So if there is a contradiction between, let's say, Department of Revenue and its goal and Government of India's goal, which has to proceed over whom? The Government of India's goal has to proceed over the 
goal of the Department of Revenue. So the smaller entities, basically in terms of significance, they have to be subordinated to the larger entities in terms of significance. That is what we referred under this principle. Henry Fairley says, say that within the organization, there could be multiple goals you know, within the organization. So that could be the goals of uh, goals at larger entity level, goals at the lower level. So in case there is a contradiction, then lower level goals has to be subordinated to the higher level goals. Here higher level doesn't mean any hierarchy. Higher level basically refers to the goals are different uh, significance. Even if let's say you are a district magistrate and your superior officer that is another chief secretary, chief secretary is much higher than the district magistrate. So let's say your view is contradicting the view of the chief secretary. So not necessarily always you have to subordinate it. Let's say chief secretary's goal view is somewhat actually restricted and your view is advancing the goal of the state itself. So here whose view should prevail? Because here your view is not a view of district officer. This view is basically the goal of who? The state, the government. And Chief Secretary's view might be a restricted view. So here Henry Fiori is saying that the larger goal, what he refers to as general interest, should proceed over the smaller interest, or what is being referred here as individual interest. Okay? The next is maybe order. Okay. Uh, remuneration. Okay. Remuneration. What is remuneration? The benefits that is given. Salary other fringe benefits are always remuneration. So remuneration is, is to be given to the employees or not? Otherwise, the organization will not be able to function, the people will not work. So, Hindi says that it is important for the managers to arrange scientifically the remuneration of employees. That means security arrangement, a very ad hoc arrangement of remuneration will decrease motivation and undermine productivity. Simply you say to yourself, without thinking that what are the different responsibilities, what are the different authority, and how the remuneration has to be given. If you are remunerating unscientifically, then that system of remuneration is not going to be very productive. So he maintains that remuneration should be scientific. The remuneration should be scientific. More importantly, he says, remuneration should be based on fairness. No more particularly, he says, remuneration should be based on fairness. That is under this principle, Henry Fiore is emphasizing that remuneration should be based on performance, merit. Here you will be somewhat closer to Taylor and his theory of remuneration or not? What he says? No, that he 
extraordinary ordinary bridges that the differential piece will exist. But there the Taylor is different from Fiore. Here, Taylor and Fiore are coming together because both of them believe that the remuneration should be scientific and moreover it should be based on performance of merit. So on this account, both are closer to each other. The next is order. What is centralization? Concentration of power at a particular position or higher position? See, Henry Fuel has been of the opinion. That the degree of centralization and degree of decentralization should be based on the nature of employees. Have you seen general is not referring to centralization, and general is not referring to decentralization. He said that within the organization, to what extent there is a need for centralization and to what extent that there is a need for Decentralization, it depends on the nature of workers. Though he maintains centralization belongs to the natural order, even though he maintains centralization belongs to the natural order. By this, can you feel says that when the organization is small, as I have referred earlier, when the organization is small, individuals working with the, within the organization they have face to face interaction, the managers having face to face interaction with others. But when the organization grows in size and operation, the face-to-face -face interaction ceases. So no more you can have direct interaction, face-to-face -face interaction. And this results into standardization or routinization. So when you mention those in size and operation, the face-to-face -face interaction stops or ceases. And in that particular context, Individual tend to, or the managers tend to standardize, or managers tend to routinize. Let me elaborate this aspect. Like let's say, I started an organization, I have three employees. So with all the three employees, I am having what? Direct interaction, face-to-face -face interaction. They were working while physically proximate to me, 
I can see them. I can, you know, through my voice, through my you know, sound, I can interact with them. Direct communication should be there. So in that particular context, or even let's say, they might be there at a different location, but if direct interaction through telephone or whatever that might be, can be there. So anytime they go wrong, I can immediately spot. Anytime they require support, they can immediately access me and ask me. So that means the fear of things going wrong is less. That is as for me. The fear of things going in a different manner other than what I desire is very less. For the moment things are going in, growing in size and operation, what will happen? I directly have no interaction. So people are operating in different sections, different departments, in different locations. So basically direct interaction is missing. But I have a fear. So when I'm not directly in interaction, in communication with them, they might actually escape responsibilities, they might be lazy, they might actually reduce productivity. So my natural tendency will be what? Define. I will define what you what you will do, how you will do, what is the target, everything I'm going to define. Because see, I'm not in direct interaction, but I have to control. So, as Henry Fiol says, with the organization growing in size and operation, automatically leads towards standardization or routinization of the job by the managers, thus leading towards centralization. So, the moment it becomes bigger in size, so natural tendency is towards what? Decentralization or centralization? Centralization. That my natural tendency is to control you, and I will try to control you by defining your job. I will decide what you will do, how you will do, what targets you have to achieve. So it belongs to the natural order. That means naturally, when the organization grows in size and operation, there will be a natural trend towards standardization or routinization. So thus leading towards centralization. But again, Pierre says that to what extent you should centralize. That would depend on the nature of employees. For example, let's say my employees are very talented and very loyal. Do I require to control them as I would be required to control other employees, those are not that talented and not that loyal? So somebody who is actually very talented or I have the confidence and so here has been, let's say, an old employee who has been doing the job for very long, has developed experience and obviously, do I need to control them very closely? No. So that is what he's exactly trying to say. You see, not necessarily in every context you have to go for same kind of centralization. The degree of centralization largely will depend on nature of employees, workers. Okay? So this is what is the centralization principle by Henry Fiori. The next is? Scalar chain. Scalar chain. Scalar chain.
बच्चों तुम लोग सब स्कूल गए हो कि छुट्टी की होगी स्कूल बंद किया हो कि प्रॉपर विथ परमिशन
the boss. Let's say this is A, this is B, this is C. And the issue has come up at the level of A. But that requests attention of O. So A is not expected directly to come to O. When the moment A directly approaches O, then authority of B and C is going to be compromised. Gradual, no, subsequently that means subordination. That means subordination means disobedience. Insubordination, disobedience towards the authority. Therefore, it's insubordination. So, uh, uh, no, that would be insubordination, and that would be uh, uh, because of this, that would be the discipline is going to be undermined, that more chaotic uh, activities or anarchic activities. So, it is required that it should go to B. And B should send it to C. C will send it to O. And uh, once O is actually deciding on that, it will come back to C, it will then come back to B, it will come back to A, then it will be so stopped. See, when we don't believe that within the organization, the chains of command should not be broken. Chains of command means these are chains of command. It's a chain, something like a chain. Each position is a commanding position. So chains of command should not be broken. Or what he says that layers of the levels in the chain of command should not be jumped. <coughs> so layers in the chain of command should not be jumped or bypassed. Because as he believed, that would result into insubordination of authority, increasing disobedience, indiscipline. So that means every layer needs to be respected. But see, don't you think it is going to consume a lot of time? Consume a lot of time? And on certain occasion, it might consume a lot of time to explain that it might undermine the interest of the organization itself. Like let's say, for example, if let's say an issue arises at the level of the A, that is one department and that requires consideration of another department. So let's say an issue that is there with the industry department and that requires attention of the environment department. And here, let's say this is N, N, O. So issue arises at the level of A requires attention of let's say M. So what is the Fairian principle? Fair says A should go to the B. The, 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 the communication from A should go to the B, then from B to C, C to O, and from O it should go to to P, then from P to N, from L to N. 
after n was considered, we go back to n. n will send it back to p. p will send it back to o. o will send it back to c. c will send it back to b. b will send it back to a. Then it becomes closed off. Means we have the jury. So Henry Fiore says normally, normally no chain of commands should be bypassed. There should not be jumping of labels. There are serious replications involved in that particular case. But having said so, Henry Fiore says under special condition, under certain specific and special condition, there can be level jumping. Basically, what is that condition? Conditions under which following of the chain of command to result into undermining of the interest of the organization. It so time consuming, so deleterious in nature that the operational interest itself is going to be compromised. In certain situation, he allows level jumping. But he allows level jumping through a specific format. Or specific he doesn't allow a level forming uh, jumping in any way. He has given one specific format of jumping the level, which he refers to as can climb.
So yes, here we are referring to the group with this particular plan, or a particular level jumping or gang plan. That is, Fiorg says that uh, positions can establish horizontal communication or direct communication. So concerned positions can establish horizontal or direct communication provided their respective superior approves of it. Provided the respective superior superiors approve of it. Like A can directly establish a communication with B. But provided the respective superior, who is the superior of A? B. And in case of N, N. So they approve of this. So if they approve of this, then they can directly establish a communication. So A can directly communicate with A. This is what has been referred by Henry uh, Fell as Gang Plan. And this communication has to be established at which level? Horizontal level. That means, let's say, uh, a, a communication arises with A that requires the attention of N. A cannot establish direct communication with N. Gang Plan means horizontal at the same level. So if a direct communication has to be established at the N, then what has to be done? A has to send it to B. B can directly establish with N, provided C approves and B approves. Are you able to understand gang plan? No, should not. Should not. Because see, moment O directly interacts with A, their authority is going to be compromised. So they should not. <coughs> Next principle. Order. Order. What do you mean by order? Order the table. See here, Henry Fair by order means right people at the right place or position. Right man at right position. Do you remember Taylor's uh, idea of scientific selection, training, and development of all men? And then coming together of the science of work and the workmen, the, the, the water. So, in fact, these two principles have been referred here to the, uh, to the principle order. So, here order does not actually be what conventionally we believe. Come on. Conventionally, that's what we understand by the order. Giving command. So, here order does not refer to that. Here order, in fact, refers to the right man should replace that. The right position. So that means here, Henry Fiore also believes that skilled people should be selected into the organization, not not skilled. They should be appropriately trained, and as per their skill and training, they should be assigned 
with the responsibility. So that is what is the right man and the right position. The next is equity. Equity, what do you mean by equity? On the top itself, say. Equity means treating everyone fairly. Managers should treat everyone fairly. Managers should conduct itself fairly. If you are actually remunerating, if you are actually, let's say, posting, transferring, like evaluating, assigning the responsibilities, maybe let's say supervising. So, what should actually define your uh, activities as a manager? Fairness. So, treating everyone with fairness, that is what is referred to as equity. The manager should be equitous because, as okay, Andy Fiore says, the manager not being equitous is going to be disastrous because managers influence others. Managers' actions carry significant repercussion over others. So, if managers are inequitous, they are going to propagate what? Their very character throughout the organization. If they are equitous, it will have positive impact. It will, be, it will bring about more motivation. It will infuse okay, more character. So, he emphasizes the manager in terms of its approach should be fair. Why not equally? Why equity? Again, let's not enter into those words. Equal and equity have different meanings. Equity, equitas, basically, it simply says that people may not be equal. People may not be doing equal activities or same activities, but they need to be treated in a manner that is equal. So I am not giving you the same salary that I will be giving to another fellow. So here equal salary is not given, but the salary could be equitous. Why? So that might be a reason why the other fellow is given more and why you might be given less. So that should be based on reason, logic, or what is referred to as justification of fairness. So when individuals are treated on the basis of merit, or they are treated on the basis of being fair, that is what is referred to as equitas. That, that's why he has used this principle, equity. Okay. So isn't equity intrinsic to scientific management? Yes. Is in, in scientific management, uh, this idea is very much fair because when we say pay the performance, not the position. But equity is slightly broader because that part of the scientific management has been captured by Epeor in his principle remuneration. Equity has a larger, like there is a not only payment, rather in terms of transfer, posting, assignment, dealing, everything. So the manager should display fairness. No, that is equity. Okay, next. Stability of tenure. Stability of tenure. So stability of tenure, every says that every individual should be allowed to perform its responsibilities for a considerable period of time. That means 
They should not be frequently removed. So individuals within the organization should not be frequently displaced from their position. Rather, they should be allowed to continue for a period of time. And he says, this should be not for emotional reason, but for professional reason. So why it should be done? What is the importance? Not for any emotional, like let's say many times we say, no, don't transfer because that's an emotional aspect, very time. He says that the stability of tenure is very much important from the organizational point of view, from administrative point of view, not from the emotional point of view, but from which point of view? Professional. Why? Because only when an individual is allowed to continue in a position for a while, will be able to have proper understanding and control. So it's very significant. Like I say, if you take it account, district magistrates or various important positions in the government of India. Repeatedly, the committees and commissions, including the Supreme Court, have been emphasizing that there should be something called fixed tenure. Fixed tenure of two years, fixed tenure of this, this number of years. Why? Something failure. Fail as I would say. If it, there is no stability of tenure or fixity of tenure, what will happen? They will not be able to have the proper understanding of the demography, topography, the problems of the areas and thereby their ability to address their responsibilities will be <coughs> But if you take it upon state governments, various important positions are these central government, the stability of tenure is not respected. We are not talking about only constitutional positions operational positions in administration. So Henry Fiol says that for managerial success what is required? Organizational success what is required? There should be stability of tenure. Individuals in various positions should be, uh, should be allowed to be there for a period of time. And as he, as he makes very clear that this is required not for any emotional reason but for professional reasons. The next is Initiate. Initiate. Later on, we'll discuss that this particular principle, who is just mentioned, but this has hardly any substantive meaning. By initiative, Henry Fiol says that the manager should encourage employees to be proactive. The managers should encourage the individuals employees to be proactive. That means they should take up things on their own. That is what is referred to as initiative. That is not merely passive. That not merely simply dependent. So his theory, as at least in his principle, fear emphasizes on some sort of autonomy or some sort of activeness on the part of the, the employee. So he says that a, a, a good manager should always encourage proactiveness or activity on the part of the workers. 
Next is esprit de corps. Esprit de corps basically refers to harmony or brotherhood. If you take it from Fior, Fior says that managers should ensure camaraderie. Camaraderie means what? Cooperation, harmony among various units, positions. There is harmony will result into higher productivity, disharmony will undermine productivity. So, by esprit de corps, he emphasizes on more and more togetherness. You know, more and more togetherness within the organization, more and more harmony within the organization. That is what is esprit de corps. So, all these 14 principles, all of you are able to understand? So, these are the 14 principles of Henry Fayol. And Fayol says that these principles are key to the success of the organization. So, these are 14 principles of administration. That means these are 14 secrets to the success of administration. And these 14 principles, as Henry Fayol says, are applicable to all the different types of organization. Though not exhaustive, but these principles are objective, universal, and according to Fayol, they are flexible, having the capacity to adapt to each and every type of organization. So for Fayol, the administrative success remains in these 14 principles. All of you understood this? A few analytical aspects, you know, one or two let me introduce. Now see, if you take into account Henry Fiore's theory. See, Henry Fiore's theory has been referred to as a managerial theory. You refer to as managerial theory. Why? Because in his theory, he is focusing on which level? Higher level. He says, what are the responsibilities of the manager? How the manager has to manage the organization? Manager has to manage the organization through planning, organizing, commanding, coordinating, and controlling. What all in actual practice manager has to do? He explains that through 14 principles, and all these 14 principles are managerial principles. How it is important for the managers to go for dividing of work, establishing specialization? How it is important for the managers for fair basis of remuneration, how it is important for the managers to define responsibilities and to assign authority. So basically, if you take into account the Fayol's theory and its 14 principles, those are managerial. Because it focuses on the managerial responsibilities or managerial functions. So here lies a significant difference between Taylor and the Taylor focused on the bottom of the organization, moreover, focused on the engineering aspect of the job. He's focusing on the engineering aspect which tool to use, which techniques to use, what stage to follow, what is the best way of doing that job, and how, to, nah, the, uh, how the worker has to be trained and introduced into doing that job. So that means. Taylor's theory is focusing on how to do the job in the best way. 
On the other hand, the first year is focusing on how to get the job done. Everyone is focusing on how to do the job. Henry Fiore, which is managerial approach, is focusing on how to get the things done, how to get the job done, or work done. And now, possibly, you'll be in a better position to understand a statement that we have referred in the case of Taylor. There were, there were few who resented Taylor being tagged as father of scientific management. And few of them said, Taylor rightfully can be referred as father of industrial engineering than be referred as father of scientific management. Because management means what? Getting things done. So if you take taking account Taylor, Taylor did not talk about planning. Taylor did not talk about organizing. Taylor did not talk about, let's say, all these managerial principles. Taylor, in fact, has only dealt with those tools and techniques of doing the job. So his approach is more industrial, his approach is more technical, his approach is more engineering in nature. That is hardly anything managerial. Are you able to get this? So many, in fact, said, why should Taylor be called as father of scientific management? With management requires what? Certain type of approach that deals with the responsibility and functions of the manager. How the managers can manage the operation to a success. He's not dealing with that. So many in fact actually objected. They believe that Taylor rightly should be referred to as father of industrial engineering than be called as father of scientific management. But again, we will again come back to this particular statement uh, later on. But at least, are you able to understand? Because now that we have uh, dealt with Henry Fiol, maybe on a comparative basis, you will be able to understand more clearly why he has been referred, or why few consider uh, that he is rather be called as father of industrial engineering than to be referred as father of scientific management. Another important aspect. See, if you take into account Henry Fiol, Henry Fiol's theory, in fact, uh, emphasized upon the significance of administration as a profession. What does that mean? Fiol believed that administration is as specialized as that of medicine or engineering. It's not that you being an engineer you can take up administration. It's not that you being a doctor you can also take up administration. It's not that you being an accountant you can also take up administration. Like let's say, if you do not have knowledge and expertise or skill in accountancy, you cannot actually do the job of accountant. If you do not have the specialized knowledge of medicine, you cannot be a doctor. If you do not have that acumen and the skill of the engineer, you cannot be an engineer. So is the case in administration. The administration is also a specialized area of activity. No more it is a commonsensual activity. It is primarily saying that today's complex organizations and bigger organizations requires administration at a specialized level. Administration itself is specialized 
and those who are to be engaged in management or administration need to have their specialized skill in administration. That they should be specialist in administration. Like I be an engineer, I need to be specialist in engineering. I to be a doctor, I need to be a specialist in medicine. I to be an administrator, I need to be a specialist in administration. So fail, fail, fail had this particular idea. Fail to be credited as being the initial theorist, who in fact has emphasized on professionalizing management or administration. Things are clear? Okay. Any question? Okay. So, uh, with certain other, there is very few aspects. The, the, the theory of fail is this much. Uh, but there are a few more aspects I am raising with regard to Henry Fiore. And with that, we will enter into the other case tomorrow the theory of Luther Bullock and Milton Marbury. So these are the things we will take you up in tomorrow's class. Write down the question. Henry Fairs managerial functional approach that emphasizes on professional management or professional administration emphasizes on professionalizing sorry emphasizes on professionalizing administration provided the foundation of the modern organization and management theorist. Discuss. As I told, straight away, don't start writing. You can think about these questions and all these things, but wait before you can write. A few more things will be made. After that, you will be better in a condition to write. Sir, Buddhism. Buddhism. Is it all right? Is it all right? Henry Ford, you know, Ford Motors, you know, Henry Ford took an automobile organization. It was not a very big organization. He was competing but struggling during this early 20th century. And uh, he redefined the process of production. So the production process was redefined by Henry Ford in the line of assembly line production. Assembly line production. Assembly line production based on the idea of breaking down each of the activity of the job into smallest part 
and each part is standardized. So that means every individual will be engaged in only one activity, but that activity in terms of its engagement will not be decided by that individual. The process will be already decided, you will only really follow that. So that means the assembly line production is based on breaking down of the entire job into smallest activities whereby each activity is standardized. This is essentially based on Taylor's philosophy. But it was this particular approach of Henry Ford to revolutionize the process of production. The Ford what it is today because of that particular approach, redesigning of the process. And it became so popular that it started to refer that very production process came to be known in the form of Henry Ford's name, Fordism. Like I said, you know Narasimhara? Manmohan Singh? So in India we have liberalization, we had liberalization. The Renew Industrial Act came up in 1991. So they, these two were the architects of a new type of uh, industrial policy. In fact, they bring in something essentially known as a new right philosophy. But even if they introduce new right philosophy, none of you know new right, what is new right, they don't study. But we refer this movement in Indian context or this initiative in Indian context as Rao Manmonomics. In certain literature, when you study, it is referred to as Rao Manmonomics. So that is nothing but Rao Manmonomics. It's a new right philosophy. But since in Indian context they brought in, so it has been referred by their name. It became popular by their name. Like they say in the UK, it was brought in by the then Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. And it became popular in the name of Thatcherism. And the same was introduced in America by Ronald Reagan and became popular in the name of Reaganism. So similarly, this is essentially based on Canadian philosophy, but Ford in fact with big name, big organization and it was revolutionizing everything, they came to be known in the form of Fordism. So did Pillar say anything about administration and management as as calls the administration management as a thing? Uh, or Buddhism? No, no. Uh, administration and management are the same as we all said. Do you tell us anything about Yes, that? yes. All the classical theories. I told all these classical theories, they believe that public administration and private administration, they might be difference in name, they might be different sector, one government, another private, but as far as administration is concerned, in both the cases, they are same. No difference. So you might be referring in one case management and another case administration, but management or administration they are one and the same, there is no difference. Administration in general activity means function Administration is he is asking what does administration as an integral activity means. It means administration is present in every other activity. Pervades every other activity. If you are engaged in security, let's say security department, it cannot operate without administration. It is let's say production. Production cannot operate without administration. So if I am dealing with production, I have to also deal with administration. If I am dealing with production, 
I, 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 I am not required to deal with accounting. I will not go for accounting, doing accounting. I will not go for doing marketing. I will not go for doing anything else. But I cannot escape administration. I have to do our administration. People have to be assigned responsibility. Somebody has to be given command. Somebody has to be rewarded. Somebody has to be punished. People have to give uh, or sent on leave. These are which type of activities? Administrative. The production manager should have skill in administration. You see, who is to have what skill in administration that's separate? He's saying that administration, administrative skills are there to be there. So at higher level, more skills might be required, lower, less skills might be required, but the administrative skills have to be there. Administration has specialized activity and the production manager has an administrative skill. Yes. No, no, this is a production manager has to adapt that, has to learn the administrative skills. So production manager, being an engineer cannot be a manager. If you want to be a manager, if you want to be a successful manager, you also learn the art of administration. Modern time. See, modern time is a movie that is critical of then system of production. That movie depicted that how that system of production resulted into excessive mechanization and loss of human. Loss of human means my creativity. I mean, human beings, I am creative, I am innovative, I have a social character, I have a psychology. But this mechanization converted me into a robot. So that movie is depicting that we will come back to that movie, we'll come back to that aspect with some other theories. So this theory, this movie, Modern Times of Charlie Chaplin, is depicting the new system of production that is based on this standardization, utilization. So this is essentially what? That was in fact a critique. Charles, uh, Charlie Chaplin was not appreciating through that movie. This is good. He was criticizing. But criticism itself highlights what? Significance. Thank you.